Hey, it's Deacon Bob. In Lent of 2022, we decided that we would use the end of each episode to focus on one of the seven virtues. And what we've done here is cut up all those bits and put them together in one episode. For those keeping score at home, that would be episodes 71 to 78. Hope you're blessed by it. And if you are, we hope you might share it with someone who would also be blessed by it. God bless. It's a lot of blessings. Praise God. Well, as we are now in the season of Lent, uh, one of the things we had been talking about is closing out each of our Lenten episodes uh, with a reflection. We've got seven weeks of Lent, and there happen to be seven virtues. And so we thought it might be nice if we might connect uh, each week of Lent to growth in a particular virtue. You know, it's in, uh, kind of how this has come about is, is on campus this year, our theme has been, unless the Lord builds the house. And I just found myself, you know, the labor builds, builds in vain. I found myself thinking about that and just more specifically of what does it look like to build a house, right? And there has to be, first off, it takes a while to build a house. Yeah. It's not something that's done overnight. There's planning ahead of time. There's preparation of the ground. We're going to see all of that on, in, you know, on <laughs> our, our campus, campus over the next, next yeah, yeah right. for the next couple of years. But so, so that, that laying of a foundation and then building upon that. And, and I just found myself thinking and praying a little bit about that. What does that look like? And then I had an encounter with, with a faculty member, which was just really delightful. And we were talking, and, and he was, he's a Thomist and talking about yeah, just So we philosophy. still love him. Yeah, we do. But one of the things that he said <laughs> that was really good was um, he said, uh, one of the things that, like, that bugs me is Franciscans are stubbornly integrated. And that was I really I really love that the the fact that that the spiritual life needs to be integrated in our day to day life that that this ability to compartmentalize and this is my faith and this is my life and never shall the two meet is just that's just not the, right. the nature of the incarnation is exactly the opposite of that 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 God uh, integrates Himself in in our life in our day to day life <clears throat> so I was reflecting that that. Whatever we do should with Lent should help integrate us. It should have some connection to our life. And I came to the thought that, well, maybe the, the virtues would help us to be able to do that. Um, I should have worn my glasses, but I didn't. Um, but the, the, the virtues— Why don't you just start wearing glasses all the time? Why don't you just live your life and let me live my life? Why don't you let baby Grogo out of the slavery in wow. the friary? Wow, that didn't take us long to no, go there. That escalated quickly. It did. But the, the catechism reminds us that the, the virtues help us to build habits of holy living. Um, and, and, the, and that they can actually, the virtues, not the, the theological virtues, but the cardinal virtues help us. We can actually make a decision to work on the virtues and we can actually grow in the virtues. Might be so, worth distinguishing the, between, you mentioned these fancy these fancy Theologicals phrases. are faith, hope, and love, and we'll do those at the end. And those are infused. Those are, those come about through grace. They come about through prayer, and we'll mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about those. But the the uh, cardinal virtues, uh, they can be an act of the will, that I can right. make a decision. So the, so the one that we're going to talk a little bit about today is— Does is, cardinal mean flesh? Is that right? Is that the root word of it? Yeah, I don't know. I think, once again, <laughs> why, why do we worry about how we look now? Um, it's something to do with that. Well, like— Cardinal sins, cardinal virtues. Um, I think those are like it's something of humanity. I okay, but, w- <laughs> but I was okay. Well, I was I was gonna go and share just like um, if we think of some of the 
uh, best movies, I don't know, that may not be fair, but some of the movies that, there, there's a common theme in lots of movies, and that is... Oh, indi- I found the definition okay, of okay. it. A New World songbird of the bunting family with a stout bill and typically a cons- conspicuous crest. Okay, so those virtues. Were those, these are the virtues that we're focusing on. But um, they're, they're, a common theme is an individual is facing a struggle and they, they continue to fight and they continue. So Rudy, probably the best. Well, you'd agree that Rudy is the finest movie ever created. Come on, dude. It's Field of Dreams. Okay, Field of Dreams. Okay, Field of Dreams is to go to. Okay. But I mean, some of these movies, Apollo 13, uh, that's, great that's movie. That's a great movie. Great movie. Um, but then uh, so many of the stories of our saints, Maximilian Colby. Mm. So I mean, he's no Rudy, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. like the, the second greatest story ever told. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the the life is difficult, and the spiritual life is difficult. And what the the virtue of fortitude allows us to do is allows us to continue to press on. Mm. I love in the scriptures it says, "If you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross." And I think it's either in Mark or in Luke. They don't both. One of them says daily, daily. Yeah, I think it's daily. Luke. Luke's and 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 this isn't possible without the virtue of fortitude. Mm. Um, so oftentimes I think that it, we look at our own life and there are things that, that we sense we should do or we know we should do and we just can't stick to it. And, and fortitude is that virtue, that grace that allows us to recognize what needs to be done and to be able to pursue it in, when times are difficult. Uh, and, and it seems to me Lent is, is the pinnacle season that allows us to be able to do that, to be able to recognize what, what Christ has done for us you know, I, I the the thing that I, I was found myself reflecting on is that ultimately we're we're going to lead. Lent is going to lead us to Good Friday, and that's a journey that we take. But Jesus didn't. The first time he denied himself, or the first time that he acted courageously, wasn't the wasn't the cross. I mean, that he had lived a life of that, and because of a lot of those small choices and small decisions, some of which he didn't. I'm sure he didn't want to do. I mean, on, yeah. on a human level, didn't want to do that, but he made the decision that it's important that I do this. It's important that I follow through with this um, and and prayed for the grace and the courage to be able to do that. He built up the virtue of fortitude that he could continue to press on, that he could continue to go on, even when things were difficult, that ultimately leads him to the cross. Well, I think that Lent provides us an opportunity to make lots of small decisions. Yeah. You know, to, to continue to press on, to continue to have fortitude, to continue to do the things that need to be do, to be do, to be done. But like for me, that's honestly sometimes that's my emails. Mm. It's it's just this this stick to itness, this decision that okay, I've got some things that need to be done. I would rather do something else. Yeah. But I'm gonna continue now. It, it may be like really for you're gonna compare answering your your emails to Jesus dying on the cross. No, what I'm gonna compare it to is making decisions to do. Uh, things that I may not necessarily want to do, but I know that it's important that I do it. Yeah. And, and bring and, and by that act of the will, hopefully down the road when, when things are more difficult and I have the fortitude, that virtue to continue to press on when things are difficult. One of the things I love um, in terms of virtue is the idea that virtue is like our, our spiritual muscles and that you can you can grow stronger with them over time, especially as we're talking about these cardinal virtues. Um, and, and I love that analogy because even I think, Father Dave, what you're saying is sometimes we want to think of these virtues being expressed in the most extreme way, you know, like fortitude is standing up to a, you know, horde of enemies right, and right. just running headlong into battle. Um, but it could be something as simple as um, committing, you know, following through on a task that you know you need to do that you don't want to do mm-hmm. or 
you know, holding your tongue. Right. <laughs> you, know? Or, or, yeah. you know, it's it's a lot like like many things in our muscles. It's a lot of the little things that we do, and you can you can intentionally work them out to grow stronger. I, I think that's the beauty about a season like Lent. It's you know we're not just fasting or doing these things just for the heck of it. Like the idea. You know, I, I actually found when I was a young man, somebody recommended, you know, like many young men struggling, you know, with lust. And um, one time a, a priest, I was so glad he said this. He said, you know, you should start fasting. And I said, oh, you mean like as kind of a penance? And he said, well, he said, yes, as a penance, but also if you can start learning to control yourself with just the foods you eat, you'll be able to be controlling yourself in, in bigger things sure. as well. And it was like a shocking statement, like, wait, what? You no, know, and but- that's exactly, that's absolutely right. When I try to give conf- uh, penances, I try to make a penance that helps them in their area of struggle. So, yeah. you know, to be able to tell the flesh no to food, one can also tell themselves no to lust. And it's, yeah. like you said, it's, that's one of the, the distinctions between the cardinal and theological virtues is the cardinal virtues, by practicing them, yes. we become stronger in them. The, yeah. I, I found the uh, catechism references, I believe, 1833. Okay. Yeah, 1833, if you want to take a look at the catechism, it talks about that our ability to grow in, the, in virtue and the cardinal virtues by this act of the will, by yeah. this choice and this decision. Like, some of them could be... You said hold your tongue. Some of it could actually be having a conversation. Mm. You know, having that conversation with somebody that you know you need to, it's, you know, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be awkward, but making small steps now. And the reason it allows it to do this is there are going to be times and experiences and occasions in our life that's going to ask, I put in quotes, something greater, right? Yeah. Something bigger. Maximilian Kolbe didn't di- start dying to himself when he was in Auschwitz, mm. but he, he developed that grace of fortitude and, and being able to continue to press on throughout his life that ultimately led him to be able to do that, what he was able to do. So little things like that, to take some time and and reflect and what are small things that you could do that could help build up the virtue of fortitude. Yeah, amen. How might you say the difference between fortitude and courage? Because sometimes Uh, I've heard it called courage. I think courage courage is a part of fortitude. You know, some things things that that the Lord is inviting us to maybe require more courageous actions on, yeah. our, on our part and some of them are just this stick to it like an, this, en- yeah, an, yeah, endurance. Yeah, an endurance right yeah. so they go to when, when i was just praying through and reading some of it that that you see these not necessarily always interchangeable but there's a connection between the two well, and i think that's why i wanted to ask it because i think you, you know when you talk if sometimes people i've heard them like summarize fortitude it's like being courageous but in some of those things that you discussed there's not a lot of courage to mm-hmm. you know do the daily task at hand or something you don't want to do but I would agree. I think it's actually more than just overcoming a fear mm-hmm. that we want to acknowledge that many of the reasons why we have difficulty enduring through things is because we're afraid. Right, right. Know, it's and, a part of it, right. It, it certainly is a part of it. So, Amen. So when we talk about the virtue of prudence, by the way, do you know what a cardinal virtue is? You know what cardinal means? The bird. The, that's what you told us last time. Apparent, well, and that's not wrong. Okay. Just for the record, that is not incorrect. However, apparently, the cardinal virtue was not in reference to a bird. Okay. And I only got about seven texts, ten emails, and a few YouTube posts from people. But the winner goes to Emily, who her, her name used to be Mislin, but I just can't keep up with things, um, who is a uh, religious ed teacher. And she told me that cardinal means hinge. Okay. And that's the idea. These are 
uh, hinges on which our our lives uh, live. And that's where we get the word cardinal. Cool. From. And just to bear in mind, I think we probably mentioned it last time, is that the cardinal virtues opposed to the theological virtues, we can grow in our cardinal virtues by making a decision and an act of the will. The others yes. are infused by grace, but the cardinal virtues, we can make a decision, I'm going to be more have greater fortitude. And, yeah. and by making that decision, by practicing it, use the image last week, I thought that was really good. Of it's like strengthening muscles, yeah. and we get stronger. So there is a difference between the cardinal and the theological virtue, and they feed on each other. It's like a hybrid car. Absolutely. Well, okay. I, well, no, I like the the electricity helps the gas, and the gas helps the electricity. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh huh. All right. All right. Thank you, Elon. Um, <laughs> so, but what I was going to say is, I don't know. What I was going to say because I lost you with the whole Prius reference. So yeah. go ahead. Okay, great. So uh, today we're talking about prudence, and I just want to read a scripture um, that I think really captures prudence. It's from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 and following. Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, but it didn't collapse. It had been solidly set solidly on rock. But those who listen to these words of mine but does not act on them would be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house. It was collapsed and completely ruined. And that's actually not the scripture I meant to read. That's, it's not a bad It's not a bad scripture. It's a great scripture. No, I was trying to find the one about the house. Well, I guess that's well, the very good. beginning, the doing the will. That one was, that's I thought it. that's where you're going with it. And that's what I am. Yeah, that, that's right. exactly what I'm doing with it. So maybe I just read a little bit too far. Yeah. Um, but it is this idea. The other the other scripture I was trying to think of um, was the one, like if you if an army is coming towards you and you see they've got 100,000 yeah, yeah, people yeah. and you've got 10,000 people, eh, maybe yeah. you want to talk this through, you know, with them. Um, prudence is, uh, as the catechism says, it's the virtue that disposes practical reason, and this goes back to what you're saying, the cardinal virtues are, are human in that sense, practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and choose the right means of achieving it. That's the fancy definition of it, but let me just kind of break that down at least into to what it means, uh, well, what it means for me. Uh, the idea that, um, it, you know, another line of prudence is it's the charioteer of all the virtues, Mm. So it, it pulls all the virtues together, and it really helps you, like, take a realistic look at the situation and say, what is the right thing to do in this? Uh, what is the true good, and how might I accomplish the true good? Uh, it keeps us from maybe, you know, maybe an example of not being prudent would be being overzealous. You know, like you're so excited about something or you're so passionate about something that you're going to let that take over. And uh, again, that vision of prudence being the charioteer, it's like, okay, we got to rein you in, boy. Like, hold mm -hmm, on. Mm -hmm. Like, I know you want to do this, but that might not, and you might be justified or whatever, that might not be the right time to do it. And that's if you're heading towards virtue. Now, you could also be heading towards vice, you know, and it can just also pull you back and say, whoa, boy, mm -hmm. let's, try to, let's, try to, let's try to think about this. And it's a very rational virtue. It, it tries to, like, say, let's see the big picture. Let's know what the good is. Let's make the right decision in this. Um, oh, and actually it was Thomas Aquinas that called it the charioteer of the virtue. It guides other virtues by setting rule and measure. 
It is prudence that immediately judges the judgment of conscience. I'm back to reading the Catechism, 1806, by the way. The prudent man determines and directs his conduct in accordance with this judgment. With the help of this virtue, we apply moral principles to particular cases without error and overcome doubts about the good to achieve and the evil to avoid. And, And that's actually why I was thinking it, like this whole question of what should we do in the Ukraine it's a question of prudence. Prayer for prudence. Right? You know, it's like, okay, well, this is what we know is wrong. This is what's happening. Here's the consequences of either thing. And that is founded, of course, on the conscience that's given to us through Jesus Christ. Like, we want to look at things through the lens of faith. And uh, we want to, I mean, prudence almost, you know, there was a, a fad. It's still around, what would Jesus do? But there's a level to which our decisions that we make, we're trying to make them with the mind of Christ. Right, right. You know, and, and what would the right thing be to do in this situation? Yeah, I was, I was kind of chuckle about that because we know what Jesus would do. The question is, is what are we going to do? And, and, <laughs> yeah. that's, and that's really what prudence, where prudence comes in is it, it governs, right? It governs our choices. Some people, I mean, on a very basic level, it's common sense. It's good mm-hmm. Christian common sense. But I think that the way you were going is really important, Bob, is that so oftentimes in the spiritual life, rightly so, we focus on our actions. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But if our mind begins to change, then then our lives really begin to change. An image that I've used, it's, it's almost like a dry alcoholic. You know, mm. somebody who's an alcoholic and they don't drink anymore, but their behavior is exactly the same. And the, and the underlying, you know, problems or struggles are still there. They're just not drinking. Well, there's a conflict that exists if if we just stop again. There's it's good that we stop sinning, you know. That's right. But but always our, a win. Right, right, right. But when our mind begins to change, it's not just our action, but what's motivating our actions, what's causing our actions, what's what's illuminating our actions begins to change, and that's when the whole person experiences this conversion that the Lord has invited us to. And prudence is at the heart of that. It governs our choices, our decisions. There was I think it was George Bush. You're not going to be prudent, not going to do it. And everyone you just kind of <laughs> wouldn't made, be prudent, wouldn't yeah. be prudent, made fun of him because we don't use the word prudent, right? Right. And yet I think, I think we well, should. Well, and in, and for some it's a slang, oh, you're such a prude, you know, which is usually a slang to somebody that's not willing to party, do, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. do overly vice driven things. But that's actually true. It's somebody saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at the situation and I'm not going to do the wrong. Right. And maybe I'll even err on the side of caution because that would be more of a prudent, prudent choice, yeah. choice to, to make. And so you don't want to just make it, though, that, oh, it's erring on the side of caution. There's so much more richness to the idea of prudence. Right. I was thinking about why are we talking about this in Lent and how might it specifically tie into Lent? And part of it, I think, was even in our discernment of fasting for Lent. Like, what is, the, what is a prudent thing to fast? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to go too crazy. Maybe some of you are thinking, you know what? I'm A week into Lent, I wasn't prudent in my fasting yeah. choices. Well, I'm, the, I'm getting angry. I'm getting mad, you know. Um, or the other thing, with it, which is just total, you know, slothful. slothful. Well, I often tell the students, you know, that as a student and, and you know, busy moms, mm-hmm. you know, working all the time, just running around, it's not a good idea to go without food. Yeah. You know, so you're fast. That's just not a generally. Yeah, sure. Generally, that's just not a prudent choice to just go without food because you have responsibilities and your body needs that. So I think that's a really, really good example is that 
and and that's where prudence against guides our choices that yeah. that sometimes we're impulsive or sometimes we're fearful or sometimes we think because it's bigger it's better well that's not necessarily the case so the prudence helps us make good choices i like what the cat another line in the catechism about it it says it's not to be confused with timidity or fear nor with duplicity or dissimulation mm. that i because that that can be the concern of, of a prudent choice oh you know you're afraid oh you're not making this you're not doing what seems to be the obvious right thing because you're scared of it. And the catechism in this level of virtue is to say, you know, being quick to the trigger with everything isn't always the best way to go. And, um, you know, we just need to to think prudently about what the Lord is calling us to do and how we might act. Sometimes that means patience. I I think of uh, a situation I was in uh, just the past few days, and I thought, oh, this is prudence, which was... um, a kid of mine did something that really, really upset me, and I really wanted to let this child know how very, very upset I was. Uh, prudently, I went upstairs and prayed about it, mm-hmm. and prudently, and because I knew my wife was also going to be upset about this particular action, this, this just applies to my life, and Jenny later mm-hmm. agreed. We were just about to have the household reunion. People were just showing up at the door, like all these things were going on, and my wife was so focused on hospitality and these guests that we had in the house. My emotion was I need to pull her aside and say, you're not going to believe this. And I, and I felt the Lord say, you know what? Wait. You, you can deal with this tomorrow when people aren't around. You know, like mm-hmm. you can – you can, it's okay. Like the situation isn't going anywhere. There's nothing immediate to do. No one's in any immediate danger. This was something I found out that actually happened a few weeks ago. So it's okay. Like take a breath. That's great. Talk to Jenny about it later. And and that's, I think, an example of that charioteer. Like my horse really wanted to, and I was righteous and it was good. I mean, Mm -hmm. nothing, hey, I could have blasted and got mad and all those things. I had every justification to do so. And prudence pulled the rein back. And I was able to deal with it more prudently, moderately, calmer conversation. And that's what I think you know. one of the things that's important is that the virtue is, con- they, they are concrete. They're not just ideas, but yeah. they're concrete. They're they lived out like that. So when we're thinking concretely, that's just a perfect example. Another thing is, is first off to pray for it, to pray yeah. that, that our minds be renewed, that we be, we're able to think more like the Lord thinks. And then you, you have 50 choices a day, you know, decisions a day. So just... You can't, like, don't go crazy like, okay, what's the most, just pray, give your mind to the Lord, and then just do your best to make choices. Now, that's where I think the examination of conscience is important at the mm-hmm. end of the day, is that you, you're able to look back and say, you know, maybe I could have dealt with that one different. So concretely, do the best you can to make choices, pray that you can have the mind of Christ, and then at the end of the day, reflect a little bit, and what could I have done differently? Amen. Amen. So this week is is yeah. justice, and the vir- the virtue of justice is I mean to the catechism is eighteen o seven, and it's really giving God His due. It says justice is the virtue that is con- concerned about giving God and your fellow neighbor what is rightly their due. And, and I found myself reflecting on this. Uh, there, there's two aspects of this ju- of justice, and, and giving <clears throat> excuse me, giving God His due. That part's easy, right? God does do everything. He's due our yeah. worship, you know. So this part's easy. He's He's due my worship and my adoration and my praise and my thanksgiving. I mean, God is 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 my Savior. Uh, I would be. This is a theological term. I would be toast mm. without Him, right? My 
You know, it was interesting. We were, I was just watching the March Madness is starting, and, and the announcer said, it's, it's so great to have March Madness because it really gives our life purpose. <laughs> and I thought, does it? Does it really? For some. I, mean, I love, I honestly, we haven't talked we'll a lot about We'll save that for March the next Madness. episode. I think it's, well, yeah, I think it is really one of the funnest sporting yeah. events there is. But I don't know that it gives my life purpose, right? But, I mean, it's like, not God like Tampa Bay. With Christ. Buccaneers. No, no not, not at all. No, not no, at all yeah. like that, Bob. I mean, yeah. So, but I mean, I can't imagine my life without Christ yeah. and and him. I mean, the reason I get up in the morning, pray, and yeah, just I want to be the person he wants me to be. So, giving God his due, not not that I always do that perfectly, but I understand that and I strive for that. The one that's a little bit more difficult is giving my neighbor uh, yeah. their due because what's my neighbor their due is their due is that they're son and daughter of God. They're created in the image and likeness of God. And, and, and it's interesting, I, and when I was teaching, I had students, I said, write a list of things that you have in common with atheists. And, and it was some of them really struggled with that. And I said, well, Jesus gave his life for all people. And Jesus loves all people. And we are all created in the image and likeness of God. And and every human person, I mean, if we believe this, and we talk a lot about it at pro-life events, but every person deserves respect, and they are the imago dei, and, and justice says that we give that individual their due. The problem is, is that oftentimes that person is the person in our church that, that drives us crazy, or the person that took our parking spot, or, or the, the couple or the person that's divorced, and, and everybody's kind of talked about them because somebody had an affair, and you know them, and that's that's the person that it's more difficult to give their due yeah. right so the the virtue of justice says is that we recognize that every person is a son or daughter of god and, and we ought to be able to treat them like that yeah yeah amen i love in the new um i think this was the part of the new english translation that we started to say it is right and just that was a new one right mm-hmm mm-hmm. i can't remember bob i think so oh in yeah. the in the yeah in the preface, preface I, but I can't remember. whether or not yeah, it's I new or not, I, I, that's really been striking me lately. And just that kind of statement, it sounds like an odd one, like it is right and just. But I think many times we feel like our response of faith, or at least some people might feel their response of faith, is like a bonus. You're like, isn't it great that I'm worshiping yeah. God? And, and this idea of justice, you know, I think uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells the parable of the servant and he says you know which of you had a servant who was out in the field when he comes in wouldn't say now get me some food and should he be grateful to that servant for doing what he was told at the end we should just say we're unprofitable servants we've only done what we're required mm-hmm. to do and i think sometimes mm-hmm. that almost mm-hmm. makes it seem like there's no love involved i think that sometimes the you know justice can kind of seem like a cold thing but Yes. No, or punishment. We often equate justice yeah. with punishment. But as opposed to doing right. what we ought to do, you know, what we were what we were made right. to do in, in that sense. And I think um, I think yeah. it was Pope Benedict at one point that said a lot of the issues is that uh, that we have in society is that people are usually very caught up with their rights, but not their duties. Like mm-hmm. we all think we have a list right. of inalienable rights. Right you know, that we should have at all times. But then when it comes to the duties, like what are we supposed to do in order to, you know, have those rights? 
we don't like doing anything. We just want people to do things right. for us. But we get very caught up in, but I have a right to this. I have a right to that. And yet that idea of doing. And again, I think that ties in to uh, our yeah, faith. Exactly. Like we have a duty and the, to... Yeah. I'm starting to chuckle because I keep saying duty. And I'm sure there's children listening to the podcast right now who yeah. are also chuckling. I'm, I'm sure there wasn't <laughs> until you mentioned that. But... It, be that as it may, it is it is it is it is uh, just and right that we. But th- that's right. Is that we have a do that, that we have a do a duty to um, honor them and worship. And, and I think honestly, what we often do is we define that person or those people, whoever they are. You know, for for Francis, it was the leper, right? Those people, those people. Um, we define them by their weakness or by their fault or by their sinfulness or by their agenda mm-hmm. or by their platform or by their party and all of that. And justice really demands that we move away from that, that, that what defines an individual is that they are a son or daughter of God created in his image and likeness and deserve dignity and respect and honor. And, and you know, I, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but, and, and we, you and I are in the middle of this, but we are all pro-life and we talk about that and yet, Sometimes we can be so dismissive of individuals or people or groups of people, and and justice demands that we don't do that. I mean, when, when we pay attention to the scriptures, maybe two or three days ago, Jesus was talking about um, how how we treat the poor and, and how we treat our enemy, and that was a radically different Christian un- understanding. Is that take a look at the early church? One of the ways that the identify markers of the early church was they treated yeah. their enemy differently. They they treated them with kindness and. And that's what marks us Christians, right? That's what marks us that we're supposed to be different, is that we treat our enemies, the people we disagree with, the people we don't like, we treat them differently. And the, 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 the justice goes, and this is so hard, but God does it so well, but that we, we try to show no partiality. I mean, that is so unbelievably difficult. But the scripture reminds us that, that the Lord looks on us. He doesn't favor one person over another, that there is no partiality in him, that he loves us. And um, and that's again, and this is to bear in mind because whenever I talk about this, people will come back and they'll they'll say, "Yeah, but," and their "Yeah, but" is about you know justice of people who have done something wrong. They should, right. you know, pay their due or honestly at times get punished. Or justice sometimes the most just thing is to say something that needs to be said in truth. I'm not I'm not denying that. The question is 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 what is your heart towards the individual and and how do you love them? So. Justice demands that we not ignore, dismiss, uh, ostracize an entire group of people or a person um, because of our own agenda, our own burdens, our own fears, our own brokenness. So uh, concretely, practically, you know, who are those people? Who, who are the people that we have a tendency to dismiss, to walk away from, to make fun of, to ignore, to think lesser of? Uh, and, and maybe, obviously, one, pray for them this week. But maybe even take a step. Write somebody a note that you disagree with, or make make a visit to the Adoration Chapel for a population of people that you just really have a hard time with, and just pray that you have the greater ability to recognize their dignity, their beauty, and their goodness, and you honor that. So it's not always easy. No, no, it's definitely not easy. In fact, it's so hard. Jesus died on the cross for it. Yeah. I mean that that moment of justice and mercy. You know, I mean, there's a beautiful relationship between justice and mercy because it's only mercy if they did something wrong, right? Mm-hmm. If, it, if, there's nothing, if you, there's nothing wrong done, there's no mercy. It's just, oh, you're fine. And 
I think sometimes the world has a tough time with that. Like God is just and God is merciful. And that's not a contradiction. You have to no. have justice in order to have mercy. No, Because his, you have to acknowledge what you're being merciful about. And that's why it's called mercy. Right. And his mercy is just. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's something just to, to bear in mind. And, and as you stated, you know, if you've done something wrong in the reality, that's all of our stories. It's all of our stories. I find so. with my kids, they have a, it's really interesting in children, but I think in all of us, right? Like, we're all wired for justice. Like, when something is unjust, it really, it really eats at us. I mean, I think, again, the situation with the Ukraine, it's so unjust. You know, these people do not deserve what mm. they are going through. And, you know, we're wired to desire justice. And even though the cardinal virtues are certainly ones we can attain with our own effort, Mm-hmm. They need to be shaped by God. Um, sure, sure. You know, sure. the first sin of the garden was a desire of choosing for yourselves what is right and what is wrong. That was the imagery mm-hmm. of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, they knew good and evil being made in the image and likeness of God, but now they want to eat that power. They want to receive that power. They want to and take so I think it's also. It's not theirs. Yeah, and, and so I think it's also important as we reflect on this virtue that we really do try to have the mind of God. Like, my justice is going to be skewed and selfish, um, and God's justice is going to show no partiality and is mm-hmm. going to lead to mercy. And, and that, yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe just close that that bugs us because we want yeah. them to be punished, right? We want yeah. him to be merciful to us, but I mean, this is the tenth time they've done this. I mean, give me a break. So we've talked about prudence justice and fortitude. And now we talk about temperance. And it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I, I don't know if it's intentional. It seems like a little bit intentional to end with temperance. Whenever you hear the, the cardinal virtues listed, it always begins with prudence, you yes. know, which really is the virtue that lets us use right reason and kind of master the other, you know, if you don't have yep. prudence, Govern, all the other virtues can go in different ways. And then it closes with temperance. And this is what temperance is. It's the moral virtue. This is from the Catechism 1809. The moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasures and provides balance in the use of created goods. I think that line of balance is really, really um, a beautiful thing. Um, one of my, I, was, I searched some scripture. I'm like, well, what does scripture have to say about temperance? And interesting enough, because I don't read this letter a lot, the letter of Titus came up. I know Titus is, you're a big Titus fan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, just chapter two of Titus is only three chapters. It's a pretty short letter from St. Paul. We celebrate his feast day along with St. Timothy. It's the feast day of St. Timothy and Titus. So Paul had a similar type of relationship to Titus, maybe not as close because he didn't write him as many letters. But in chapter two, he says, I'm just going to give some highlights from this chapter. He says, as for yourself, you must say what is consistent with sound doctrine. Older men should be temperate, dignified, self-controlled sound in faith, love, and endurance. Older women should be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers addicted to drink, teaching what is good, so that they, these men and women, may train younger women to love their husbands and um, younger men to control themselves, being a model of good deeds as every respect. The grace mm-hmm. of God is it repaired, saving all, training us to reject godless ways and worldly desire and to live temperately, justly, and devoutly in this age as we await the blessed hope podcast title, The Appearance of the Glory of Our Great God of Our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I think it's really kind of beautiful that, 
you know, a lot of what Paul is writing right now is this idea of, of being temperate. Sometimes mm. I think we can understand something by maybe what it isn't. And the opposite of being temperate would probably be going to an extreme mm. one way or the other. You know, we're in this time of uh, feasting and fast or fasting rather we're in a time of fasting. We'll be in a time of feasting when we get to Easter. Mm. Um, but I know sometimes, you know, there's people that give up things and maybe on Sunday, um, you know, they will because it's a it's a feast day. They won't fast on a feast day. But the temptation can be, and this actually, I would say, even from my perspective, is that when I get to that feast day, I want to binge, (laughs) you know, like, it's like, I gave up this all week. I'm going to have five times as much, you know, I'm going to eat a lot of donuts, you know, I'm going to go to Dunkin' all three meals that day because I gave it up the rest of the week. And that actually goes against this idea of temperance, you know, going extreme fasts and extreme feasts isn't really a very healthy and moderate way to live. And if anything, I think part of our life of fasting should help us to become more temperate, more balanced in the way we live. And again, these are all, you know, temperance only deals with things that are good. You know, obviously you're not temperate with sin. You just don't do sin. But with the created things of this world, the good things of this world, you can overdo anything. Now, what's Mm -hmm. that Latin phrase? You know, we've talked about drinking sometimes. And oh, semper unum num cum duo vetus. Yeah, yeah, translate that for well, one of the other friars that don't know Latin. Well, which is me, but one of the friars would always talk about that. And the, the point was um, always one, sometimes two, never three. You know, and but I think that that's it's important. Like, I, I love balance, I just think balance is, is so important in, in the human life and the spiritual life. Uh, and, and again, unfortunately, I think some people poo-poo balance. It's like, mm. we need to live a radical life. Absolutely. I want to live a radical, holy Christian life. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's unbalanced, you know? So, well, take it for you. Um, even, even prayer, which is a good thing for you, right? But you can't pray the same way I do because you've got a family to care for. And yeah. so our lives are different. So what does it look like for you to live a balanced life as prayer and reflection, all that? And what does it look to me or going to be somewhat different? I, I think that the text that you read from Titus is so important because he talked about self-control, that the catechism speaks of uh, the temperance gives us mastery over um, our, our devices, over mm-hmm. our will, over our appetites. And, and, and we often focus on food, but it's not just food. I mean, I, I'm constantly talking to the, to the students about the amount of time they spend on screens, the amount of times they, they're gaming and things like that, or Netflix and binge. So it's not just food. It's, it's all the other things that distract us or, or that we find ourselves kind of consumed by. Temperance moderates that. And, and I think it's such an important, important uh, uh, virtue that we're able to have. Yeah, temperance allows us to recognize things that are good. Um, I like this line here. The temperate person directs the sensitive appetites towards what is good and maintains healthy discretion. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, again, I, I think the devil often wants to push us from one extreme into the other. Like, even if you think of Absolutely. the first temptation in the garden, um, you know, the Lord said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, just don't eat this one. Well, the temptation of the devil um, was to manipulate that statement, which was to say, did God really say you're not supposed to eat of any of the trees of the garden? Well, no, that's not actually what God said at all, but it made it sound like God's asking such an extreme thing for you to do. That's just not realistic. That's not fair, right? 
And I think when we're trying to go towards virtue, you know, there would be those that say, well, no, you can't play any video games. A holy person would never play anything, you know, or you can't watch, you know, be on social media at all. You just need to get rid of all social media, et cetera, et cetera. And temperance would say, well, I can watch some shows, you know, Mm -hmm. I can, but as as long as it's not to the distraction of a life of prayer, a life of charity, I can enjoy this. I can enjoy that. Um, And so it really is recognizing, gosh, there's a lot of beautiful things in the world, but don't, but have a right balance, have a sense of moderation. And just to that end, you see how prudence actually comes in play here as well, because prudence governs our choices. So our prudence can say, you know, can video games, let's go to that. The prudent choice for some people, maybe I can't do that because once they start that, they go down that road and they're not able to be temperate. So that's where I like how the virtues actually work. Or it's a video game that's just, you know, (laughs) crazy and immorality or whatever. Like I'm obviously not talking about anything that would lead us down that path. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And so I think yeah. what we see as we come to a conclusion of these, these cardinal virtues is they're not, they're not four isolated virtues. You know, mm-hmm. they really do they work together. They work together. And, yeah. um, you know, temperance kind of is like that, that final cap on the end of it, which is to say, you know, in all the good things of life, finding a healthy sense of moderation, having a, having a sense of self-control, uh, because going from extreme fast to extreme feast still isn't self-control. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, you know, sometimes uh, I've, I've known, and I've done this in my own life. I'm trying to think of an example though. Like, as we talk about fasting and maybe this is even something to think about, you know, we're still in Lent. And if you want to pick something up, sometimes just being temperate with something can be a wonderful yeah. fast. You know, if there's, no. if there's something some... you do too much of, do a little of it. You know, I did no, one fast one year, which was to say, um, I'm only going to have one, you know, I, I think, I, yeah, like, like, I think I decided I was going to have five beers a week, not all in one day, <laughs> you know, but just like, yeah, yeah. but I just decided, you know, maybe I'd been, you know, used to having like two beers with every dinner and I'm just going to try to be more temperate. And that's a wonderful way of, in, of in fasting ways, and spiritual again, discipline. Part of this is prudence and discernment, and that's what's important. But like for me, depending on what it is, it's easier to just say no to everything. Yeah. You know, that, that part's easier. It's like, I'm not going to, let's just take a drink. I'm not going to drink at all. Okay. Well, that's actually easy, but drinking isn't a good example because it's, it's not really an issue, but maybe a sweet or something like that to say, I'm just going to have one piece of chocolate, not five (laughs) pieces of chocolate. I mean, I'm going to have one potato chip. Yeah. But there's something (laughs) to that, right. Is that, is that it allows us to be able to exercise that, that gift of prudence. One, as we're wrapping this up, I think one of the things I love is St. Anthony of the Desert. And this is really important. He said, if you want to grow in the spiritual life, and the answer is we all want to grow in the spiritual life. He says, learn how to curb your tongue and your stomach. Hmm. And he spoke of your tongue as it relates to speech, but your stomach, he said, so oftentimes an individual is, is ruled by their stomach. And if we can begin to curb that and get that in, under control, we can actually grow a great deal in the spiritual life. So I, th- I think temperance really allows that. It's the virtue that allows us to grow, um, to get free from, I mean, so many things. And it's not just food, but that's often what we focus on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I like, you know, as I know, sometimes uh, people struggle with weight and things like that. It's, it's more a sense of the appetites, right? That's really what yeah, it's getting yeah, at. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, yeah, I think that's just, yeah, it's such the, a great yeah, gift. The things of the flesh. And I think- yeah. And this is where they go into play is that uh, if, if I grow in my ability to be temperate, then it, th- that has other f- impacts in my life. So actually some people who are struggling, like, let's say with pornography, 
Uh, what I often do is I give them a, a penance of fasting because that, that growing in the ability to say no to the flesh, in this case is just for food, um, you can also say no in other areas of the flesh. So if yeah. a person is struggling with that or with lust or something like that, there's a connection between these. So it, it impacts all the areas of our spiritual life if we can grow in those particular areas of virtue for us. Amen. So we pray Amen. you've all been blessed by these reflections on the cardinal virtues and coming next, next week. Theological baby. Faith, hope, and love. Woot, woot. Yep. Yep. So today we are talking about the theological virtues, uh, having covered the four cardinal virtues. I guess that means there's only three weeks left to Lent. I know. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. It seems like it's gone so quickly. Yeah, right. but the uh, difference between the cardinal and the theological is the cardinal, we can make a decision, an act of the will, a choice mm -hmm. uh, to be able to grow in particular virtues. Theological virtues are infused. They're, they're given to us by the Lord. And the first one that we're going to look at is is the virtue of faith. In catechism, I think it's 1814. I didn't write, type it down in front of me, but I think that's what it is. Do you have it in front of you? Yep. Okay, yep, 1814. Am I right? I think it's around 1814. Yep, it is. Things, it's 1814. Okay, that was a good I, year, I, too. It was a good year. When I was praying and thinking about that, uh, the text in, in the scriptures, when the father goes to Jesus and his son is ill, and Jesus says, do you believe? And and he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And that really that really speaks to me at the heart of faith is, is that I, I do believe, but help my unbelief, right? I, I want to be able to believe more. And that is really the grace and the virtue of faith. And, and that's the virtue that allows us to believe that, that Jesus is who he says he is, to believe that his promises are true, to believe that the scripture's promises are true, to believe that the, you know, the, the, the story of faith is ultimately, we can place our confidence, we can build our life on this. And, and there's sometimes it's really easy for me to believe. And then there's other times that it's a little bit more difficult. And just interesting in that as well is that, like, I'll be honest, the Eucharist is never something that I've really struggled with. I've just, it's a grace. It's not just because I've made up my mind to believe, but it's a grace that the Lord has been given. But other, believe, other people struggle with that. And, mm. and so to be able to pray for the gift of faith that allows you. But for other people, it could be maybe one of the moral teachings of the church or one of the moral teachings of Scripture that they just have a hard time believing that that's true or believing that that's relevant today. And this is where we really go before the Lord and say, Lord, just give me this gift of faith that, that, that I want to cooperate with you. I want to cooperate with your grace. I want to be able to believe. And, and to be able to be intentional about that in this time of, of, of Lent, I think, is a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, yeah, very specifically so. I love what... Um... The thing that really jumped out to me in the catechism is, and you were, you're alluding to this, by faith we believe in God and believe all that he has revealed to us and that Holy Church proposes for our belief. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so it's but, not just a, I mean, it's really a faith a, in the life of the church. And, yes, yes. And it's, and it's a recognition that, you know, we need grace for this. I mean, yeah. it's not, obviously it's not trying to discount intellect, you know, or, you know, it's, you know, there's not, it's not just blind faith. Well, I do it because the church says so. Like, uh, you know, there, our free will is involved and this is just in terms real quick, of receiving just the script. Yeah, real quick, Bob, that, and that's where the other virtues really build in on this, that, that the other virtues, which are in engaging of the intellect in a study and a decision and intentionality, this actually, mm -hmm. to the degree that we're able to do that helps the the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's the faith in the church. It's the faith that 
um, what the church has revealed to us in, in Jesus. Sometimes I think we live in a society, and you know, many of our Protestant brothers and sisters, you know, kind of naturally do this. I, I believe in Jesus, but not the church, mm-hmm. and don't really see that what we know of Jesus comes to us through the church. You know, sure, like sure. you know, Jesus didn't write a book. Uh, Jesus empowered, you know, discipled built the, church, the apostles right, 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 and, right. and the built church the church. Came before the, yeah, the church came before the book, right, right. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's all part of that beautiful life of faith. You and, know, and that's I, where and that's what I was trying to stress, Bobby, is that is that there are some people that are maybe critical. It's like I can't believe you have a hard time believing in the Eucharist. It's just, but but it's it's not just that. It's uh, you know, right now the moral teachings of the church are really under, and it's not just the church. The scriptures and the moral teachings are really under attack. And and when everything in the world tells you that, you know, you know, gay relationships are okay or transgendered, whatever person believes, they ought to be able to believe. Well, it just that that's not accurate, and and then we don't believe that. And sometimes it really does take faith to believe in some of these really difficult, difficult. Uh, moral teachings that, that the Lord ultimately is going to illuminate. He is going to give us the grace to be able to believe if we ask for that. I remember, you know, for me, I actually struggled with the Eucharist. Well, mostly because, uh, so growing up in, sadly, it's kind of a, a classic Catholic story that even though I went to a Catholic high school, nobody ever said that the Eucharist was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Like that just, that was just not ever stated. I actually remember the one time it was stated it was in a humanities class. God bless you. It was in it was in a humanities class, and the teacher posed it as like an odd question. She said, "Do you know that the church teaches that the Eucharist is the real body and blood of Jesus? It's not a symbol." How many of you believe that? None of us raised our hands because none of us had heard it before. That's and, Um So I, and maybe partly because my dad was Episcopalian, and so my mom, you know, that's. There's a tension sure, sure, you know, sure, there, sure. so it just never never came up. And it wasn't really until I got to college and you know, started talking to other Catholics that, wait, they believe this? So um, this was before the catechism came out. And I remember I, uh, the catechism it? came out. <laughs> yeah, there was no Google back then. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. uh, but I read the catechism in 94, and it was right before Holy Week, and I got to that section on the Eucharist. And... And it was like, oh my gosh, this this is actually what Catholics believe. This is what I should believe. I don't know if I believe this or not. And I didn't even know about the Holy Thursday time of adoration, but uh, I went to it and and I was just sobbing. I mean, that was really the That's moment beautiful. the Lord moved my heart. But it, it had to go with I needed the I needed the teaching to open me up to the grace of believing. And right, you know, that's right, kind right. of the both end of it. Like, I don't think, I mean, maybe by a miracle, you know, we talk about theological virtues. We don't want to make it sound like, well, you just infuse knowledge. You're going to get the entire catechism in your right, brain right, right now, right. right? Like there's a part of which that we do need to study and we do need to ask questions. But then we also need to just, that that like tills the soil, so to speak, for faith to blossom. You know, for me, it was that I really had to read what the church had to say and go, huh, and then I was able to have that experience of, you know, just in tears, you know, looking at the Eucharist, you are God, you know, you are God. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies to a lot of the things that, that yeah, happen. I, I would say as a, as a, as a, you know, before I got married, and again, this was before I, you know, got into the catechism and even went to Franciscan, I had heard that the Catholic Church was, you know, t- taught against contraception. And I just thought, well, that sounds really dumb. You know, I mean, I was all for like saving yourself for marriage and other things. And, 
And it wasn't until uh, I, I came here, one of the first classes I took at Franciscan was an ethics class. And the professor, uh, Jim Harold, he said, like, we're going to we're going to talk about these issues, you know, and, um, and I'm going to talk about contraception. And I just thought, oh, well, that's going to be interesting, right? And yeah. what, a, what a grace that was. I mean, it was a grace, A, to be formed in the right way of thinking, but also then just a movement of the spirit you right, know, in, right, in my right. life to go, that is, that is true. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of that both and. I, and. Think I, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago and, and it was around some of that Marian, uh, our Marian doctrines and dogmas. Mm. And, and that's the same type of thing. It was like, I didn't necessarily ever have anything quote unquote against it. I just didn't really, it, it wasn't a priority. Like when I was younger, which is odd because my mother has prayed the re- rosary every day of her life. It just, again, I wasn't against it, but there was just this lacking. And I remember, I remember just praying about that and, and, and trying to understand, you know, the dogmas and the doctrines more and, and coming to understand just the beauty and the dignity of, of the doctrines that, that we teach about, the church teaches about marriage. So uh, the, the point would be, as you may, I think we both alluded, is that it's not merely, okay, I believe in God. Okay, that's, that's a significant right. part of it, right? Right, right. But it's 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 the other things that go with it, and and I think it's particularly important in our world today that compartmentalizes our faith mm. so much. You know, I remember a professor of mine that I had in seminary, and he was talking about how at times we struggle with with doctrines and some of the things that the church invites us to believe in, the scripture invites us to have faith in. And he said something beautiful that I've prayed over many times since then. He said. Ultimately, he needs to bow his head in submission. You know, I think mm-hmm. there's some people that says, if I don't understand it, I'm not going to believe it. Or if it doesn't make sense, then I'm not. As if, as if it's up to me to simply decide what I right. want, what, what I believe to be true, right? Yeah. Um, but well, but people, people like that are... Humility. Oh, go ahead. There is no, just that. There has to be a humility that says, you know, I maybe don't understand. Or even honestly, I maybe don't totally agree right now, but I'm going to bow my head and I'm going to pray in faith that the Lord is going to help bring this and, and help me to understand this more. Yeah, there's a difference about being a Catholic by coincidence mm-hmm. and and being Catholic by faith. You know, oh, there's one God. Well, you know, funny coincidence. I believe that there's one God. Yeah, Jesus yeah, yeah, is yeah. in the Eucharist. That's a funny coincidence. I believe yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. You know, contraception. Mm, now, I don't agree with that. But, you know, and like suddenly right, exactly. it's almost like it becomes this well, let me look at the menu here, and let me see what's well, on it. And, and that's the pride, built their right? Own faith, right? They built their own faith, and that's not that's not what it means to be Catholic, right? Maybe the and last it's thing interesting. I wanted and to it, say well, about just real quick, just real quick, because just a last on that point is it's interesting. The whole cafeteria Catholic thing is that you know, twenty five years ago, Catholic cafeteria Catholic meant one thing. Today, it means something else, and depending on if you like what's coming out of. Uh, you know the the teachings of the church, or your 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 particular bishop. You know, it's like I like my bishop now, so everything's okay. But I don't like my bishop. so. <laughs> right. I mean, that's that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. 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 Anyway, exactly. you were gonna say something. Yeah, it's a little bit of an internet delay. So those of you listening, we're not fighting with each other. We're just trying to hear what the other person yeah, is yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think it's also maybe worth closing with um, you know the the faith that uh, the grace of faith that we receive always propels us into action and propels us into life. It's not mm-hmm. just an intellectual um, ascent as much as if you believe it, you're going to live it. I mean, that gets to you know, the letter of James, like faith without works is dead. I mean, don't tell yeah, me you right. really believe that you know the lottery numbers. You just 
didn't yeah, feel yeah, like spending a yeah, dollar yeah, to yeah. play it. And so, yeah. um, you know, that, and I think sometimes, you know, with our Protestant brothers and sisters, it seemed to be like, is it, is it faith or is it works? And sometimes they wanted to say, well, we believe faith, you believe works. And the answer is, it was always faith, which has the fruit of works. And if right. there's not works, there's no faith. And one of right. the cool things that happened a number of years ago was Lutherans and Catholics got together and hammered things out. And right, they realized right. that, you know, we were actually saying the same thing because no Lutheran would ever say, yeah, no Lutheran would ever say, it's just faith. You don't need any works. It's faith. They would say, well, you're saved by faith, but the faith is validated by the works. And we would say, oh, that's kind of what we were saying. And right. some of that was just, yeah, the way things are phrased. But all of that really yeah. has to do with faith. Yeah, but to that end, you know, let's go ahead and close with a prayer. And we just ask mm -hmm. for, yeah, for the individual who's listening, who struggles with faith, who struggles with a particular teaching of the church, a particular text in the scripture that you just, you're just having a hard time with that, Lord, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. give the gift and the virtue of faith that helps us to believe that your word is true, helps us to believe that the church is true, uh, helps us to surrender our wills and our lives to you and to your, and to your uh, truth that is revealed to us uh, and is given to us ultimately in faith. I just invite the listener, yeah, to, to pray. What is something you struggle with? Present that to the Lord and allow His grace to be present to you. Well, uh, we're heading into Holy Week, and uh, we are continuing our talk on virtues. And I get this one. Let me see. What is it? Hmm. It's not see, faith. The first, the first one was faith. It's Second, not love. Three. You're going to do love. Okay. I get to do hope. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Ooh. That's like talking. Yeah, baby. They that hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's talk what about, we're talking yeah. about today. Wow. Right. We'll talk about, you know, pull out an old paper that you wrote from the 10 years ago. All so right, go we'll, ahead. We'll hope. buckle up. I actually All found right. some cool new stuff. Nice. Uh, Father Cantala Mesa. A fan. Big fan. Big fan. Uh, preacher of the papal household. At least he used to be. Still is. Oh, yeah. Dang. Father, Father Brian Cavanaugh just sent us uh, the text that he gave last week in Lent. It was oh, really beautiful. That's really cool. Well, many yep. years ago. Uh, he wrote a book called Life in Christ, and he talked about faith, hope, and love. And I love this analogy. He talked faith, hope, and love. They are like three sisters. Two of them are grown, and the other is a small child. They go forward together hand in hand with the child hope in the middle. Looking at them, it would seem that the bigger ones are pulling the child, but it is the other way around. It is the little girl who is pulling the two bigger ones. It is hope that pulls faith and love. Without hope, everything would stop. Lovely. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, that's really lovely. And I think as we talk about this virtue of hope, um, you know, in terms of the biblical virtue, it's not really wishful thinking. Sometimes we say, well, I have faith in something, which means we kind of want it to happen, or I have hope it will happen, which means it probably won't. Mm -hmm. But there is a certainty to this biblical virtue of hope, and it's rooted, it's rooted in eternity. It's, it's rooted in heaven. And, um, you know, Pope Benedict wrote a whole encyclical on hope. By the way, if you're not familiar with it, the first three documents, the first three encyclicals that Pope Benedict XVI wrote are absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it was Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, was the first. Which was so cool because everybody, you know, he was such an intellectual and they're expecting his first thing to be. You know, let me explain the Trinity. I know it's a mystery, but it's not going to yeah, be anymore. It, it, I'm going to explain <laughs> it to you, right? <laughs> right. That, it was God is love. And, and, his, and the second one was Space Salve, which is um, Hope Saves. Yeah. 
and I don't remember the name of the third one, but it was on faith. Do yep. you remember the name yep. of the third I one? I do not. Okay. There was a right. few. Yeah, so you should check, everybody should check that out. Um, but this idea of hope that Benedict writes about, we've quoted this before, but he says this. He says that uh, Christianity isn't only good news. Um, it wasn't informative, but performative. It means the gospel isn't a communication of things that can be known. It is one that makes things happen and is life-changing. The dark door of time of the future has been thrown open. The mm. one who that's hopes, such a great image. Oh, the isn't dark, that yeah, that's such a beautiful The image. one who hopes lives differently. The one who hopes has been granted the gift of a new life. And that's that image that um, the hope is, you know, we're in darkness the hope knocks the door open, yeah, 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 and the hope lets the light shine in. We're not yet standing in the light. That, that's just that's such the, a cool, that's eternity. That's such a cool. Obviously, we're we're entering into Holy Week. That's right. such a cool image that we're going to walk up to Good Friday with that door, that dark door in front of us, and and the hope is going to be the door that opens up Good Friday into Saturday, and then the vigil. So right. that's that's a great. That's a, a really really cool image. And it ties in beautifully what Pope Benedict was saying a lot with some of the conversation that you had with Peterson about suffering, because he has a whole section in this letter about it is hope that gets us through suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, hope is the things uh, in what you know we do not see. We hope in what we do not see, as Saint Paul says. And when you're in suffering and in darkness, you're not seeing anything. Right. You're just feeling it. Right, right. But it's the hope that allows you to know that you're called for something greater. Right. I mean, it's not just pie in the sky after you die kind of thing. We uh-huh. live that virtue of hope now. But hope is that motivator. Hope is that driving force. Hope is why we pray. That's another thing Benedict mm. brings up. Like, if we don't have hope, we don't right, pray. Right, right, exactly. exactly. You know? What's the use of it? Right. What's the use of, of placing in intercession before the Lord if we don't have a sense of hope that, that he's going to fulfill this? Or, or that, that our present circumstances is not the end of the story. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So he talks about hope that, uh, that, per, that keeps us alive in suffering, hope that drives prayer. And the third point that he made I thought was really fascinating and I just never thought about um, it was about hope and judgment mm. and in the fact not only of the mercy that we'll receive in our judgment at the last day, but, you know, one of the scriptures that St. Paul quotes is it talks about, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Yeah. Like we need not be caught up in doing the work of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we can believe that God is going to make things aright. And judgment isn't necessarily like about damn, it's just about justice. Like we all... You know, we but, all have yeah, the measuring rod of, right of that justice is mercy. Yeah. Is is mercy, and that's founded. That's in that's hope. awesome. That's awesome. See, honestly, yeah, I I apologize, Bob. <laughs> as as we were preparing, I honestly, I it's it's been a long it's been a long week, and yeah. I said, I said, Bob, honestly, I don't even remember. Am I doing it? And he goes, No, I, I've got it this week, and it's in hope. And I said, Give me a break. You have not done anything to prepare. And he said, Well, we'll see. That's really cool. Thank gotcha. you, Bob. That's You're awesome. Welcome. Yeah, that's awesome. That's all good. Let's talk about love. All right. What's love got to do with it? Mm. What was the foreigner song that they used to play with the old Jesus of Nazareth thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have uh-uh. any idea what I'm talking no, about? No, no. Oh, that's going to bug me. It was like such a cheesy thing to do, but they would show the crucifixion scene from Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. This is before the Passion, and it really makes it look like nothing happened. Yeah, like yeah. Basically, that Jesus gets slapped, and he's like, ow! Um and, oh, I know what it is. I want to know what love is. Yeah. is that and partner? they would time it, yeah, yeah, like that big crescendo of like, yeah. and then like Jesus being lifted on the cross. Mm-hmm. I want to know what love is. 
And of course, all of us 80s kids are like crying and so giving, giving our life to yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want you to show me. <clears throat> so I, I want I you, to, I want yeah, you I to show us. I don't know I want why, you to tell I'm us. I'm not sure why people would say that your voice sounds like a woman. It just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. What's love got to <laughs> but do? Yeah. So well, this is, in it, it seems to be fitting as we're coming into Irish tenor. the Triduum. Irish tenor. And to, there you go. And to Easter, our final a virtue that I look at is charity and love. And as we've talked a couple of times, the last three virtues that we're focusing on are the theological virtues that are given to us through grace. It's not something, and, and it would be nice if we could, we could just make up our mind we're going to love better and we could be able to love better, but there's a grace to it. This particular virtue uh, allows us to fulfill the great command, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all of our strength. Yeah, it's, it's worthy of meditation on what that would look like. You know, if I could really love the Lord with all of my mind or all of my heart, what does that look like? How is that different? And then, and, and it's not just that, it's the ability to love our neighbors as ourself and, and to be able to love as the Lord loves. Uh, the catechism references are 1822 nice. to 18. Just opening up my catechism. Yep, 1829. Uh, the, the thing that in, I, I did a little reflection for the student body and for the <clears throat> Excuse me, the university community, and I start with that song by "What's Love Got to Do with It." Who was it that sang that? Tina Turner. Tina Turner, and and then my the, ultimately the the answer is everything, right? It's got yeah. everything to do with it, and and love is really the virtue of love is really what holds the rest of the virtues together and gives them purpose and and meaning and makes them concrete. But the the reality is is it's also the most difficult uh, on one level because we talk a lot about love and we hear the word about love you just saying about it mm -hmm. but what does it mean and, and that's what the scriptures and the in the catechism really invite us to is that love does have a meaning it's not just i love whatever right is right. is that we love one another as the lord has loved us we take a look at paul's letter to the corinthians that love is patient it is kind is so all of that and we can't simply do that. We can't just make up our mind to do that. We need to be able to go before the Lord and continually, especially in this time of Holy Week, that, that the greatest act of love that we're going to witness and reflect on is, is taking over those three days, right? Yep. Or, or over the offering of himself. I shared this week at, that for St. Francis, the, the crucifixion just made no sense. He speaks about the humility of God and, and the, in that single act of love that he does uh, out of love for us. It ought to challenge the way we love. It ought to challenge the way that we treat you. You treat your kids, your spouse, or I treat the friars, or I speak about the friars, or, or how I serve the kids. It's got to be that thing that is constantly forefront in our mind. That ultimately, when it's all said and done, that's what I'm going to go before the Lord. He's not going to ask me about degrees, right? About necessarily decisions I made as an administrator. You know, did I love? Did I do the best that I could to love? To love Him? To love others? To love myself? And, and this is this is the, the, what the Easter message is all about. I loved. Um, I loved you loved his I did, entry. I did. Uh, one of my favorite books by C.S. Lewis is called The Four Loves. Mm. Have you read that book? Mm, I think I did back in college. Back in the yeah, day, yeah, yeah. It, it's what was very eye-opening for me <clears throat> was to understand how um, the English language is one of the few languages that only has one word for love, or at mm. least our vocabulary-wise, our word love encompasses a lot of things. Um, whereas in the Greek, which is what the scriptures were written in, there were four different words for love. And, and he goes through each of these, and one is a love, I might get the Greek wrong, storge, it's a, it's a kind of friendship, you know. Um, there is a filio, 
love, uh, you know, it's actually where we get the, the Philadelphia, Philadelphia city of brotherly love. That's actually a translation of the title of it. There's a brotherly love. There's an eros, which is a love between usually a husband and wife, but that's where we get also the word erotic, you know, from. And then there's agape, which is the type of love that Jesus spoke of in the scriptures when he said, greater love has none than this. When he said, love one another as I have loved you. It was always intentionally using that word, agape, that was present. And the agape love of Greek is a complete self-sacrificial type of love. And it was helpful for me because we do use the word love a lot. And that's okay. That's just part of our vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And so I say I would love Red Robin hamburgers, and I do. I love Red Robin hamburgers. And I'd say I love my wife, and I do. I love my wife. And I don't mean the same thing when I say those words, you know, but I'm using the same word. And so um, I think that sometimes the confusion even in our society, I mean, sometimes people say love is love, and that doesn't actually make sense in that real sense of that you you can't define a word by its word itself. Um, Or, Or all love is equal. Yeah, of course there's not. It's it, not. It's absolutely it's not true. Not. And that's just and that's not like slamming any agenda. That's just nonsense. It's like, no, the love I have for my wife and my kids is different than the love I might have for a good friend or the love I would have for something, mm-hmm. you know, that that's present. And so I find those articulations, you know, it's interesting when you read the end of the Gospel of John and that conversation between Jesus and uh, Peter you know, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? And Jesus says, agape. And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. I mean, he actually downgrades the love because he knows he didn't sacrifice himself for it. I just think there's so much beauty there. And I like, we started, you know, even just saying the word charity. I think the word charity is really helpful because Mm -hmm. it, for me, it at least jars me out of a purely emotional I like this, you know, which I think our culture usually drives us to the word love. And I think when I often use the word love, I love Star Wars. I love, you know, Marvel sure, movies. Sure, sure. I love sure. bacon. I'm not, I'm rarely using the agape love right. language at right, least. Right. So, Yeah. And, and again, that helps us a little with a little bit of focus. Yeah. And, and the, well, we use this in some ways. We do the same thing with hope. Mm. I hope you're feeling better. Is that really what my hope? No, I want you to feel. I pray so, but but the the other is that language is important and the words that are important. You know, there's the the line that says all social engineering is preceded by verbal engineering. So if we can, if we can buy into that argument that all love is the same, or all love is equal, or love is love, then it does for those who want to make love an activist. You know, something that sure. that they want to use against the church or against people that believe that, that actually there is a difference in those things, then they have the ability to do that. And I think that's what we get in Good Friday, which is we can say, you know, your friend loves you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. And your puppy loves you. That's nice. Mm-hmm. And Jesus loves you. Oh, that's nice. That's right. Yeah. And yet on Good Friday, we really see what love is, yeah. you know, and nobody loves you. Yeah. No, yeah, like yeah, yeah, no greater love than this. Right. It was interesting, just r- real quickly before we close, and um, I was talking, when I was talking with Jordan Peterson, he didn't know the story of Maximilian Kolbe. Hmm. And it was really cool to be able to talk to somebody who didn't know that, st- <clears throat> that story, because it's all over our world, in the world that you and I live in. Right. But just, all right. And maybe the, briefly, there's a podcast listener who doesn't. Can you hit it quickly? The story of Maximilian Kolbe, well, yeah, he, yeah, he's in Auschwitz, and many people escaped, and so they 
gathered up, I believe, 10 people that were going to kill them. And one of them said, you know, I'm a father, I'm a husband. And Maximilian Kolbe steps up and he says, I'll die in his place. They ask him, who are you? He said, I'm a Catholic priest. But that that willingness and that choice to die for another. Yeah. You know, so literally when the Lord says, love one another as I have loved you, Maximilian Kolbe did this, right? Mm-hmm. Now, we're all called to die to ourselves for our brothers and our sisters. It's part of the Christian life. To be able to love like he loved is that agape. There has to be a sacrificial nature of it. It just, And that's one of the things that I think our culture fundamentally misses is the sacrificial nature that goes with love. Yeah. But the, the Easter story, right, the, the Good Friday story reminds us no greater love than this. Um, yeah. Uh, and that he proves his love for us yeah, that and while, that while the we while were still sinners, sinners he Ma- died for um, us. Father Cantalamesa says, narrow down the word. If you took all the scriptures and had to just settle on three words, it is God is love, mm-hmm. right? That, that it reveals to us who God is. It reveals to us what love is. So, as yeah, it, it's it's been good for me personally to reflect on the virtues over the last seven weeks. I hope that just in a little thing that, that it's been helpful one of the things that we try to do is is make this concrete that it's mm-hmm. not just an idea it's not a philosophy it's not a theology but it's a lived experience so my prayer for everyone this week is that a you know that you are loved more uh that you'd experience and like when you walk through the triduum when you walk through a thursday evening with the lord and walk through good friday and you would know you're loved and that there's no greater love than this and know that uh, that that love is to be lived it's to be experienced and not just to be talked about so we pray for that as we draw into this time of holy week and triduum that you'd experience the love of the lord and draw closer to him and into his sacred heart amen amen amen, amen.